Jesus' name, we thank you so much. Uh, we thank you uh, for your loving kindness. We thank you how you continue to bless us and how you continue to strengthen us. We thank you, Lord God, for this day, Lord God, because uh, we've been working through this idea of brokenness in the book of Nehemiah, brokenness, and how you want to build us up, build your people up, Lord. And we continuously submit ourselves to you. So, Father, again, help us to avail our hearts to you today. Uh, to remove every single barrier that is fighting against the power of your presence and the power of your word. For again, your word says, uh, the weapon of our warfare is not carnal, but mighty through God for pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So in this place today, Lord God, we pray that every single stronghold uh, that wars against you, Lord God, would be eradicated. And what would be built up is Jesus Christ. We love you, and we thank you, and we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, would you turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 9? Nehemiah chapter 9. As you can see, we have skipped over uh, a chapter or two. Uh, but nevertheless, we continue our exposition in the book of Nehemiah, uh, to which I believe today will be the last part of that. I guess the Lord will let me know when I'm finished. Amen? Amen. Nehemiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners, now, when you, when you see, before I continue, something like that, that they separated themselves from all foreigners, don't just automatically jump and think the negative. See, in essence, what they're saying is that, you know, we need to be accountable to God for ourselves. This is what they're saying. Not anyone else, because remember, God had already held them in contempt, and he had already judged them. And he had already punished them. So the reason that they needed to separate it themselves is because they're saying that God, that we were guilty. We were guilty of our sin. So therefore, let's separate ourselves from all foreigners. Right? Goes on to say, and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law. They read the word of God of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of a day. So, for about three hours, three hours, a quarter, so their day consists of from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So a quarter of the day would be like from 6, we'll say 6 to 9 o'clock. No pews, no air conditioning, 
No heat. No off, deep wood off to keep all the mosquitoes and stuff away. None of that stuff. But everybody stood up for three hours. Think about us when we pray. We pray just for a couple of minutes. Oh, I better go ahead and sit down now because I'm tired after 30 seconds, right? Uh, they stood up and they listened to the word of the law for three hours, a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. Verse 4. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunny, uh, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chanani. Uh, and they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, right? Here we go again, y'all, right? Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Heshebaniah, I think I got that right, uh, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessings, blessing and praise. Verse 6, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God, uh, who chose Abram and brought us out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made him the co covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, Perizzite, Jebusite, and the Gergesite, and you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard their cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, and all his servants, and all the people of, the, of, the, of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers, and you made a, a name for yourself as it is to this day. Right? And the scripture goes on uh, in in like manner. As Nehemiah began to talk about not only the good things that God had done for them, he also began to speak of the unfaithfulness of God's people. For instance, verse 16, but they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck, and did not obey your commandments. So with all that they had going on, that the children of Israel still turned away against their God. So here, uh, we now insert ourselves here uh, in, in, in this story that's been playing out for several weeks now. And I begin this message by asking this question, and you may have to track along with me now, right? And the question is, what does culture mean? What does culture, culture mean? Like you've heard things like multiculturalism and so on and so forth, or culture pearl. Uh, but what does culture mean? Well, originally, it meant to take what nature gave you 
and make something out of it. Culture originally meant to take what nature gave you and make something out of it. As an example, let's say you like potatoes. I think uh, the vast majority of us in this place today uh, wouldn't just go to a potato farm and snatch potatoes up out the ground and then start chomping away. Amen? I, I think that's true for most of us. Uh, what we do, we, we boil them, right? And chop them up and make mashed potatoes. Amen? We take them and we put them in the oven and make baked potatoes. Boy, I got a good recipe for baked potatoes now. Amen. Or we take them and we chop them and slice them and we make hash brown potatoes. If you like those. Or uh, you, you take them and you slice them really, really thinly, right? And then you, and then you throw them into a vat of boiling hot oil and then you take them out quickly and you salt them and you end up with potato chips. You see, in each of those instances, and boy, I said all of that, all of a sudden my stomach started growling, right? Uh, so, but, but in each of those instances, you've taken what nature has given to you and you've made something out of it. Not leaving nature the way it is. 17th century, uh, during that time, they broadened out this word culture. And uh, what it had come to mean is uh, educating people. Educating people. Not leaving people in the states that they are, but you get educated, uh, for the most part, uh, to become better. I, now, I know some people who got educated and they became worse. Uh, maybe that education uh, didn't uh, really grab hold uh, to their minds or whatever the case may be. But the idea of culture during the 17th century was to, uh, you know, uh, give you a little class, so to speak. Not leaving human nature the way it is, but to expose it to higher education to expose uh, human nature to philosophy or even to art, to become, uh, not hoity-toity, but to become a cultured person. The good, the true, the real, and the important. As an example, music. Music is an example of culture. You say, well, what do you mean music being an example of culture? Well, what exactly is music? Well, what is not, what, what's not music? Well, very easy. If you hear a sound outside, uh, for instance, one time I was in Japan and I heard this loud noise. It was like, boom, uh, like something like, uh, like a, uh, a dump truck that was the size of Sears Tower. It sounded like it had fallen down on the ground. And as I was walking down the street, the ground began to shake. But I didn't think anything of it. I just thought it was uh, a construction going on. Later on, I found out it was an earthquake happening there. 
But the noise that I heard, guess what? That wasn't music. What about uh, when you hear uh, someone bang something like that? Well, that's not music either. It's sound, yes. Someone scream at the top of their lungs. Uh, Certainly, that's not music. It certainly is sound, however. So music is the organization of sound. It is the taking of sounds and and putting them together in certain ways and fashioning uh, those sounds with forms to create something that is pleasant to our ears. Music, therefore, is culture. The same thing can be said, of course, of your dinner, or technology, or stories that you tell. You heard about arts, or even legal arguments, because they are not just people saying stuff everywhere. It is things that have been organized in a fashion that makes sense. Uh, All of that indicates culture. The rearranging of raw materials makes them better. Like agriculture. Or horticulture. As opposed to something that we know uh, that is good, uh, that is a force that seems destructive, but nevertheless, it is a culture, nevertheless, those things that are counter-culture. Culture is the shared beliefs, the shared values. Culture is the authority to define reality. And many of you in this place today, you have been culturalized spiritually. You have been culturalized spiritually. You see, what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me, He has taken the raw materials of the sinfulness of mankind, Right? And he has made something out of us. Where at one time we, if you are in Christ, uh, we were destined for uh, the, the trash heap of Hades, that God says that no, uh, that, uh, that if you accept my son, uh, then we're going to make something out of you. That you're going to become something that you could have never become on your own. You see, that potato that's sitting in the ground, uh, can it make itself a potato chip? That potato that's sitting in the ground, uh, can it make itself mashed potatoes for you? Here's one that you may or may not like. Uh, Can that cow that's on the farm make itself a good old hamburger for you? And the answer to those questions is simply no. Some would insist, in fact, as I consider this, that 
yeah, life can do that. If they believe in evolution, they think that life itself can make something out of itself. Ah, fallacy, though. Fallacy, I say. So we have been culturalized spiritually. God uh, does not want to leave those people who have been created in His image in the raw state of sinfulness in which nothing good can come out of it. Yet some of you have been delivered. and I desire that all of us would be delivered in Jesus Christ. But then there are some things, someone that want to return to that state of rawness, that ingroundedness, that some people want to remain as if they were in the ground like the potato just to one day to rot away. You see, that's what the word Adam means. Did you know that? The word Adam is in the Hebrew... It's similar to the word where we get our word ground. The word ground in Hebrew is the Adama. We know Adam. So Adam comes from that's where he gets his name. So some people want to remain in the groundedness, the rawness of what they used to be, but without Christ. Now, when I talk about spiritually culturalized, I'm not talking about a cultural Christian, right? There is a difference between being spiritually culturalized and a cultural Christian. You see, a cultural Christian is someone who only does things simply to be accepted by society. And for us, it is those people who go to church to network. It is those people who uh, uh, decide to become uh, friends with this person uh, back there in the church because what they can do for them. Uh, they, they, they do that realizing the only way that I can get that job is just to throw that little hint in. Oh, and by the way, I, I, just, I just love the Lord. Some people do that. Uh, that is a part of a cultural Christian. But in the heart itself, those individuals are not really Christian. But those who are uh, spiritually culturalized, they have been changed. They have been changed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So which are you? Do you even care? Or do you think that I'm just playing around with words? God wants you to be a spiritually culturized Christian. Beginning our journey, back in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 6, we recall Nehemiah, as he prayed to the Lord, says, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house 
have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you. When we began our journey, we saw Nehemiah fasting and praying and confessing his sins and the sins of his people. We understood how important this was for the future success of building the wall and all that the Lord planned on doing with his people there in Jerusalem. The impact of that terrible situation was enough to drive Nehemiah to his knees. Remember, when he heard that news, he just began to weep. He began to cry. But he prayed and he confessed his sins. But why do some people not give a second thought to repentance or confession of sins? Why is that? Recall Job, who was blameless and upright, and he feared God and turned away from evil. Uh, that, uh, that, uh, that Job was so concerned about sin uh, that he would not only make sacrifices for himself, but also for his children, just in case they get off kilter. Job chapter 1, verse 5. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would sin and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned, didn't want to take a chance, and curse God in their hearts. Thus Job did continuously. So Job thought to himself, just in case my kids do something crazy, I better go ahead and pray for them and confess their sins for them and offer sacrifice for them. And I don't know what my kids are going to do, so I better lift them up in prayer. Amen? If you are a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the question is, right, can you confess the sins of another person? Ah, can you confess the sins of another person, and it becomes effective in heaven. So if they're out doing whatever they want to do, right? Someone said, sowing their wild oats. I think that's an old saying, right? If they're out there sowing their wild oats, right, uh, can you confess the sins of another and God recognize it? Does God honor this? If you are in Christ, you know there is a point in time in which you confess and repented of that sin before the Lord, that sin which eternally separated you from God. But having confessed your sin, you are now relationally connected with the Lord in an intimate relationship for which you call on Him as Lord and Father, and He calls on you as Son or daughter. But is it possible to confess the sin of others and have the Lord recognize it? That is the question that I pose to you. And the answer I tell you, because think about it, uh, you know you've heard uh, the fact that uh, some people, uh, uh, according to some certain traditions, uh, that some people that leave this earth without Christ that they end up in the holding pattern, right? They end, up, they end up in a holding pen 
uh, well, where they await their time of judgment. And while they are in this holding pen, uh, that hopefully someone who's back on earth, that they're praying for them, praying that they get out of this, you can call it purgatory or something like that, right? Uh, praying that they would get out of purgatory and that they would eventually make it into heaven. So is that effective according to God's word, right? Is it possible to pray somebody out of a place of darkness and into a place of life after they have passed away? Numbers chapter 14, beginning in verse 11. And the answer I say is, maybe, maybe. Numbers 14, verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you of you a nation greater and mightier than they. So we see here that the children of Israel had been blatantly disobedient towards God and God decided to judge them permanently and disinherit them as his people. But then Moses, he interceded on their behalf. So they sinned before God, Moses interceded on their behalf, and then this is how God responds in number chapter 14, verse 20. You want to... See the rest of the discussion, see in between there, verse 20. Then the Lord said, this is after Moses interceded, I have pardoned according to your word. So here's an instance in which uh, a saint of God, uh, that he interceded on behalf of those who had sinned before God, and God recognized it. Uh, do you see that there in the scripture? It's, uh, let's try it again. Do you see that in the scripture, yes or no? So it is in the Word of God. So there is good reason to believe that the Lord will stay his wrath when one person confesses the sins of another. In this case, Moses confessing of the sins and interceding on behalf of an entire nation. Not even one person, but an entire nation, probably a million people. So the question then is, Early on there in Nehemiah chapter 1, that Nehemiah, remember he confessed his sin. Recall that we just read that, amen? We recall that Nehemiah, he confessed the sins of his fathers, amen? We saw that for ourselves. But the question is, was it enough for Nehemiah to confess the sins of his people? Because he did that and the Lord blessed him with the rebuilding of that wall. Isn't that true? So he confessed, so God showed them favor and he blessed them. Because if God was still mad at you, then obviously he would not bless you in that fashion. I mean, I know. But look at what the law states. Look at what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16. Deuteronomy 24, verse 16. God says this, Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death 
because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own what? So you're going to die for your own sin. We know Paul says what? That the wages of sin is uh, the wages of your sin, uh, not the sin of your father, not the sin of your, your, your child, but the wages of your sin is death. Uh, that if you uh, continue to live this life and you die, you are going to die a second death. You thought the first one was going to be bad, but my God, who wants to die a second time? If you do, then you're bad. You're really bad if you want to die two times. You sin, God says, and it's your problem. Uh, even though it may impact, your sin may impact your entire family. So your sin may impact your entire family, but your sin is still your problem before God. Amen? But when the Lord blesses, shouldn't that be a reason enough to know He has your back and that you're on the right path? Shouldn't that be enough? Rebecca Van Nord, she says this, and I quote, Freedom from sin gives us the power to love. But freedom from poverty or oppression or guilt sometimes make us complacent. We forget our inclination to wander away from God's will and pursue our own, our own will. And we overlook that God will eventually call us to account, end quote. In other words, she says that uh, sometimes when we finally get our freedom, uh, we have, uh, when we reach our goal in the Lord, uh, then we want to do our own thing. Right? God has finally delivered us, you know, much like the children of Israel. He delivered us from Egypt. Now we're on our own land. So now let us go do our own thing. Jesus has delivered me, and I know I'm free, and I know I'm going to heaven, so now let me live any way that I want to live. Have you ever heard the sage advice of parents or grandparents who said, all right now, when you get out there, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget, say, who you are. After the Lord seems to bless us, we sometimes take Him for granted and then we forget who we are. And we forget who delivered us. And this is the very point the Lord makes against Israel. And here's a book of the Bible you may not have heard in a while. Micah chapter 6, verse 2. Micah chapter 6, verse 2. And in this case, I happen to be reading out of the message. Micah chapter 2. Uh, chapter 6, verse 2. Micah 6, 2. And it says this out of the message. And now, mountain, hear God's case. Listen, jury earth, for I am bringing charges against my people. I am building a case against Israel. So what uh, the prophet Michael was saying was that uh, uh, after God had blessed them richly, they went crazy. They went out of their mind. Exactly what has Jesus done for you and how have you consistently responded to the goodness of God? 
Now, now why have I gone down this path? I'm, I'm walking down this path. I know you have to figure out, what in the world is he talking about, right? So I'm, I'm going down this path. You're wondering, why am I doing this to finally get to Nehemiah chapter 9 after all this? Because as important as special it is to have other people pray for us and to intercede for us and on our behalf, we must pray and confess sin for ourselves. There is no substitute. I know you know that. But God says, remember this. So, here it is. Believers, we must not only pray, we must not only fast, but we must confess sin for ourselves. So in other words, uh, even though Nehemiah did it early on, He's saying that, look, I can't do it for you all. You still have to do it for yourself. Nehemiah 1 and 2. 9, 1 and 2. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Again, now on the 24th day of the month, the people of Israel were assembly with fasting and sackcloth and in sackcloth and with earth on their head. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and did what? They confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. So here they go again. Right? So Nehemiah did it. Now they're doing it. Now, uh, this book of Nehemiah, it will end in a few chapters. We're almost at the end of it. But confession reappears. Again, I know you know this, but we must be reminded of it. That there is no substitute for getting to the Lord for ourselves. Now again, we must pray for one another, right? We must pray for one another, that's important. But we must pray for ourselves and ask God to deliver us in the name of Jesus and to seek His hand in our daily affairs. Again, this whole trek with Nehemiah, it began with him dealing with that terrible news by fasting, praying, confessing sin before the Lord. And again... He didn't just pray. He didn't just fast. In fact, he didn't just confess sin, but also the Lord empowered him for the action, and he went into action. But part of the confession, the sin of the children of Israel, was that they had to recognize what the Lord did for them in the past. This is a reoccurring theme even in the book of Micah. Remember, remember the Lord blessed them and they went crazy. But in Nehemiah 9, verse 6, the children of Israel, they begin to recognize who God is. And they say, you are the Lord. You alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You see, in order to keep us from doing things that are contrary to the Lord's will, we must know something about God's character. You see, someone who constantly talks about, you know, yeah, I know Jesus Christ, but you act like the devil, that in our minds that we should say they probably don't know Jesus. But if we don't know about God's character, how then uh, can we know how 
we need to act or how our character needs to be. Remember God says, right, because God is holy, isn't He? Uh, there is no one holy like God. But then He tells us in His Word, He says, be holy as what? As I am holy. So when God places His, uh, his character out there, the reason he places his character out there is for us to watch and to act accordingly. So that means this, right? If God is holy, we already know the answer to this, then we should be what? If God is righteous, that means we should be what? If, if God is just, that means we should be what? Just. If, if God is truth, that means we should tell the... So if God is truth and we tell a lie, what does it say about us? See? Remember, like begets like. What truly is created consists of what it has made it. Therefore, the character of the Lord reminds us what is holy, what is just, what is righteous, because this is who He is. And this is why it was always so easy for Jesus to, to, to spot a fraud. He could spot a fraud in a second. Why? Because uh, that person's character was not consistent with who, with who he was. Our inclinations are to gradually pull away from the Lord. And when we do, our entire environment begins to change. You see, on the one hand, when our, 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 our character is consistent with, with God, our environment changes in our household, right? Amen? Things should get better in your house unless your spouse doesn't know Jesus. Right? I've heard of instances where uh, you have one spouse come to the Lord and the other person still rejects Christ. And when that person comes back home, all hell breaks loose. But for the most part, and in most cases, what happens is uh, when one spouse loves Jesus Christ and they bring that back into the household, typically the whole household changes. The entire household changes for the best. Listen to this research, and I quote. Families where the female is the head of the household are five times more likely to live in poverty. Repeat a grade, talking about children. Repeat a grade. And have emotional problems compared to families where a father is present, end quote. Now, okay, I get it. Some of you say, well, I know some ladies who run a household and all their children are straight-A straight students and they're just so respectful and they're so good. Yeah, okay, and I know a lot of households like that. For those women, we say, thank you, Lord, amen? Because in many of those cases, uh, oftentimes, those ladies, they get their kids to church, don't they? Oftentimes, that's what I've seen. No, you're going to church, they say. They may not have that man, but the one man that they know that they have in their household is Jesus Christ. They know that uh, the father of their household, if that biological father is not there, is Jesus. So they insist that their children go to church. Hey, I tell you, uh, I'm the head of my household, I'm the father of my household, but I still need another father to help me in my house, amen? 
I still need Jesus. But generally, when the father pulls away from the household, the entire environment begins to change. Whether it's physically or emotionally. But a culture of confession changes the atmosphere. A culture of confession changes the atmosphere. Remember now, a culture originally meant to take what nature gives us and make something out of it. Well, originally, we were all that the Lord wanted us to be. When God created Adam and Eve, uh, they made, He made them in His image, and they were all that God wanted them to be. And they were without flaw until things changed because of disobedience. But God made a way back to Himself through the sacrifice and shed blood of Jesus Christ. And in the meantime, all communities now, because of the one thing that happened, all communities all over the earth now suffer. Because uh, the, the cultures that currently exist are in the raw state of sin. And if you're wondering, this also includes our nation. The nation for which we currently find our feet on, which this land is really God's land anyway, man, that goes for it all. Uh, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. This is God's land. But uh, the nation where we are, that it is chock full of sinfulness. Just look at the news and observe it in every community. If one community isn't experiencing the pain of, of gun violence, they, they are certainly experiencing the viciousness of parental neglect. While one community may not be experiencing an addiction to opioids, uh, that community is being ravaged by corrupt politicians. It doesn't make a difference where you turn. In fact, even in some churches, let's tell the truth now. Let's tell the truth. The signs of a culture of darkness are evident. But we have a hope in Jesus Christ. People are doing what they believe are best, even though they are in their basic, natural, and wild form as wild animals. Now you may again argue with me and say, no, 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 everything is fine and things are getting better and better and better. Well, tell that uh, to the people who lost loved ones in the recent massacre in Sri Lanka. Tell that to the parents who, whose children were sickened uh, by the water uh, in Flint, Michigan. Tell that to the people who lived in neighborhoods in Indiana where the very ground that they walked on, the very soil where their children played in, uh, and, and the dirt that they tracked into their house, it was all a death trap. Tell that to them. All of this is due to a culture that is being ran by the sensibilities that, not, that are not informed by God in His Word. Sure. Some will say, well, in our town, we pray before every meeting. Yeah, okay. Well, I also know some cities that they also, they've been praying for hundreds of years before meetings. But yet, they have some of the, uh, the, 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 the most corrupt politicians that they are. So who cares what's being said when they pray? It doesn't mean a thing. Because uh, that, uh, that culture of being spiritualized by Jesus Christ is simply not taking hold. 
Now, this is the reason why it was not enough for Nehemiah to confess sins all by himself. This is the reason why. This is the reason why Nehemiah understood that more needed to be done spiritually because the people had forgotten. And that is why they were in that predicament in the first place. They were there because they forgot about the character of God. They were there because they forgot who they were. They were there because they were living at their basest level possible, spiritually uncultured. Remember, becoming cultural spiritually means making something out of yourself. And you can't be your fullest without Jesus Christ. As believers, we should not be willing to walk down the path of sinfulness again. Never again. Nehemiah 9, verses 34 and 35. It says here, as the people were crying out, our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even their own kingdom, and amid your great goodness that you gave them, and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. You ever reach a, a, a time in which you say enough is enough? Some people don't. Some people still think they can outsmart God. Is this you? I hope it's not you. Because as that uh, title of a play I saw many years ago, why your arms are too short to box with God. My desire is that you fully understand the implications of any refusal to confess your sin before the Lord. So how would you respond if you knew through the confession of your sin your household would change? Your child would change. Your husband or your wife would change. Or your mother or your father would change. How would you respond then? So even with all the great work that they did there in Jerusalem, something was still missing. The confession of sin. Think about that for a moment. What is your sin? Well, you probably love Jesus Christ. But maybe you know that you've been lying. Maybe you know that things are not right in your household. Maybe you're not following God the way that you should. What is it? Today, God is calling us to a culture of confession. Let's pray. With our heads bowed. You have heard the word of God. And God has called you and to me to confession. That there have been moments in your life 